counterfeit stuff, fake stuff, is never as good as the real thing. Uh, who here has been to Thailand or Bali or something like that? Stick up your hand if you have. Yeah, a whole bunch of you guys have. In those countries, they love to sell counterfeit fake things. They sell them on every single street corner, every little place. There's a stall that's selling like fake Ray-Bans or fake clothes or fake, you know, Rolex watches that are supposed to be worth $10,000, but they're worth $8 in Thailand. I've seen fake iPhones, like the mini iPhone, which is a thing that doesn't exist, but they'll sell it to you in places like China and, and all those kind of places. They literally have everything. And if you haven't been to one of those places in Asia that sell all that fake stuff, you'll probably get a similar thing at Morissette Market, kind of up the road. You'll find the same kind of stuff, counterfeit stuff everywhere. But counterfeit things are never as good as an original. They're far from it. I remember going to Thailand when I was in like year eight and I was pretty excited about counterfeit stuff. I was loving it because you don't have much money when you're in year eight. And so I'm there and I'm like, Ray-Ban sunglasses for $8, this is amazing. And I bought like four pairs of like sunglasses for myself and it was heaps good and I was heaps excited. But like halfway through my holiday, two of the four pairs were already broken. I had like arms snapping off and lenses popping out of my sunnies and it all was kind of falling apart for me and I felt a little bit ripped off. And I was like, well, that's pretty sucky. But counterfeit clothes, I mean, what could possibly go wrong with T-shirts? You buy as many T-shirts as you possibly want. A T-shirt's a T-shirt. It's going to be all good. So I bought heaps of counterfeit T-shirts, right? And I was like, yeah, this heaps good. $5 rip curl shirts. I was loving it. Rip curl was like all the rage back in the day. Anyway, and I've got all these T-shirts. And I'm like, what could possibly go wrong? But guess what? They all shrunk. And I was a pretty tubby little kid. And so all these like shirts, like, you know, <laughs> hip, what do you call them when you're showing belly? I don't know what that is. But I've had those shirts after all my shirts shrunk up, every single one of them. And I was devastated. Because counterfeit stuff really is dodgy. In Thailand, they had, like, like, like they literally had botched ones like Rip Schmerl and Billabing and stuff like that that they got wrong. I saw one that was like Rip Curl on the front, Billabong on the back. And like they got confused about what shirt they were making and they blew it completely. Counterfeits are never, ever as good as the real thing. Now, when you counterfeit sunglasses or some clothing or something like that, Worst case scenario, you show a little bit of your tubby belly when you're in your eight, you get a bit ripped off, your sunglasses break at, at worst. But what happens, what happens when you worship a counterfeit God? What happens when you worship a fake God that isn't really God at all? What does that mean? The Bible's word for counterfeit gods is idols, fake gods. Idols, that's exactly what they are. Idols are fake gods, if you're after a definition. They're something that isn't God, that you pretend is God. And the topic of idolatry is what we're going to be looking at over the next four nights, including tonight, all right? And what we're going to see again and again and again is that idols are actually everywhere in our lives. They're all over the place, in our lives, in all sorts of places that you wouldn't even know it was there. But on top of that... (laughs) we're going to see that the God of the universe, he despises idols. He hates them because he's the only real God and all these fakes are are awful, they're terrible. And God hates idols. And in fact, I should say that the place to start when we're talking about idols 
isn't actually with idols themselves. The place to start when you want to think about idols is the real thing. Because you can't understand a fake unless you actually understand the real thing, the original. And that's the place that Exodus 20 starts, which was what Jordan read out for us before. I think we, re- we stopped in a really random place because I think we were after verses 1 to 7, not 1 to 17. That's what was going on there. But Exodus 20 starts with God. And here's what it starts with. Here's the first thing you see in Exodus 20. The only God you should worship is the one true God. That's actually pretty obvious, but that's where it starts. Now, those verses that were read out, uh, particularly those first few, are the beginnings of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's a pretty famous part of the Christian Bible. It's, it's the place where God is, is telling Moses what he's to tell God's people about how they're to live. And so we get this idea of the Ten Commandments because there happens to be ten rules in a row there. But what God is doing here, in, starting in verse 1, is he's about to give a massive smackdown to idols. He's about to go to town on this idea of having idols that you worship instead of God. But notice where he starts. Before he starts talking about idols, look at verse 1. Look at where he starts. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, sorry, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He starts with himself. Before he says anything about God's, he says, let me get this straight, I'm God, I'm the Lord your God. And he's saying, I'm the God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Now, I don't know if you guys know this story, but it's a pretty amazing story of how God's people were enslaved to this hectic nation called the Egyptians, and God leads them to freedom away from slavery in this nation in Egypt by doing a whole bunch of hectic plagues. He sends plagues and kind of shows up Pharaoh and and destroys kind of the glory of this awesome kingdom, um, Egypt, and shows how good God is, and he leads them out through this person, Moses. And it's called their Exodus. It's the Exodus. And that's what that book's name is. The equivalent for us today, as if we were to think of God who would describe himself to us and say, remember, I'm the Lord God who, what would God say to us today? He would say, I'm the Lord God who saved you through Jesus. I sent my son to die on the cross. When you were a slave to sin and to death and to Satan, I sent my son Jesus and he saved you out of slavery. So just like God's people have their big moment as they're brought out of slavery in Egypt, we have our huge moment as God frees us from slavery to sin through his son, Jesus. And so before we try to understand anything about idols, guys, we've got to remember who God is. We've got to remember that he's the God who saved us from sin, Satan and death. And not only that, man, not only has he just saved us, he's incredible. Our God is the one who rules time and history. He's the one who created this world. He's the one who keeps this world together. Our God is so incredible, we can't even understand him entirely. He's incomprehensible. He's eternal. He lasts forever. He has no beginning or no end. He knows everything. He's perfect. He's powerful. He's holy. He's good. He's, he's just. He won't let people get away with sin and yet he's loving and gracious and somehow holds all of that together 
and he sent his one and only son to save us. That's our God. And so before we can understand idols, we need to remind ourselves who our God is. That's our God. And so after he reminds his people in Exodus, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Remember me? Then look at what he says about idols in verse 3. He says in verse 3, it's pretty simple. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, when he says before me, right, it's not like he's saying you can have a bunch of gods as long as I'm your number one God. That's cool. That's not his point. What he's saying is you can't have any gods at all, no other gods in front of me that you kind of parade around in my face in front of me. Have no gods that you put before me in your life that that are there for me to be seen type thing. No other gods that we're to put up in our life instead of God himself. See, do you guys see how crazy, are you beginning to see already how crazy idolatry is? Here's what idolatry is. It's taking the real, true and good and living God in all of his glory and in all that he's done, in all of who he is, right? Taking that God and swapping him for something that is just ridiculous in comparison. Swapping him for something that just doesn't compare at all. It's just crazy. At its heart, idolatry is this sick, twisted swapping of the God of the universe who saved us through his son, if your trust is in Jesus. It's taking that God and swapping him for some crazy, pathetic substitute that just doesn't even come close. See, idolatry is evil. It's evil because it completely devalues God. I'll give you an example. Um, It's pretty common in Australia that we have pets that are better fed than many people in the world who are starving. Does that make sense? We've got animals, we feed them pretty good daily, morning and night. They look after our pets, they're fed pretty well, they're pretty happy. You know, that's our pets. There's people in other countries who don't eat as well as our dogs. Now, if you've got any sense about you at all, you'll go, that's just terrible. Isn't that terrible that that's the case? Why do we find that terrible? The reason we don't like that is because we have a strong sense of the value of human life. And so to, to, to exchange what, you know, what a human deserves for a pet is just an awful kind of a backward thing to have happening, right? When you appreciate human life, you get that. Now, when we fully understand God, it's so obvious and so crazy to think that we would devalue him and say, yeah, God's great, but instead I'm going to worship this thing instead. And so, for example, imagine how crazy it is to go, okay, there's God, but uh, money and stuff is pretty good. Possessions, I love that stuff. I love my iPod. I love my iPod. You are a better God than the real God. It's just crazy, yeah? It's absolutely mental. It's a crazy way to think. But as evil and as crazy and as backward and as twisted as idolatry is, that's actually exactly what Israel did again and again and again. God's people, Israel, made that mistake. They took the real God and they swapped him for substitutes. So check out the warning 
that God gives in verse 4 and 5. So he's just said, have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. See, for Israel, the danger was in their culture and the places that they kind of moved around and the people they were hanging out with in the land, the danger was that they would literally see something in creation and grab some wood or some metal or some something and, and make a God for themselves out of that. Like it's literally like, here's a log, that's a pretty sweet piece of wood, I'm going to go to work on it, now it's a God. And then you, and you bow down and you worship this log thing that you've turned into like an, a, a statue or whatever. Or you get some metal and you make a cow out of it and you go, this is a sweet cow, I'm going to worship this thing that I've created. That was their danger. And the danger was so bad, in fact, that... As God is saying this stuff to Moses, right? Moses, here's this stuff. He tells the people, this is how it's supposed to be. And then God continues to speak to Moses and he's up on this mountain and he's kind of giving them the rules for how they're to live and how they're to not worship other gods. Guess what's going on right now as God is literally speaking to Moses? Come in your Bibles. You're in chapter 20. God's telling them no other gods. If you look kind of at the chapters between 20 and 32, come with me. All these chapters is God speaking to Moses. You get to chapter 32, and what's going on here is it's kind of like the, meanwhile, back down the mountain, here we are. Check it out, chapter 32. Here's what's going on while God's talking to Moses. (laughs) It's just crazy, this part of the Bible. When the people, chapter 32, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us, as if they don't already have a God that will go before them. And as for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, I don't know what's happened to him. And Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings and your wives and your sons' earrings, which is weird, and your daughters uh, that they're wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and they brought them to Aaron, and they took what he handed them, and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashion, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced that tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. I assume he's talking about this calf that he's just built. This is a picture of God. And so the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and prevented fellowship, presented fellowship offerings. And afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So they get their party on as they worship this God. And then the Lord said to Moses, back up the mountain, go down because your people whom you've brought up from out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they've made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and they've said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they're a stiff-necked people. It's a pretty crazy story, yeah? It's not a story, it's pretty crazy events. It's nuts. It's this terrible picture of idolatry. Moses is up the mountain hearing from God on how they're to live live, as he kind of continues to speak to to Moses. And then down the bottom, 
You've got Israel who've just been saved from Egypt. And they're like, where's that guy gone? I don't know. How's that God that led us out of Egypt? He was all right. We need some gods to follow. And so they make their own God out of metal and they bow down to a, a, an image of a calf. It's terrible. Exchange the real living God for that. It's just crazy. It's like, imagine your parents, right, are leaving you in charge of the house. This is what it's like. Your parents are leaving you in charge of the house and they're kind of packed up the car and they're all ready to go on holidays and they're kind of in the driveway and they're talking to you and they're like going, all right, while, while I'm on holidays, no, no girls in the house, no loud, you're a boy, no, no loud music, you know, uh, no parties, none of that kind of stuff. And as they're kind of giving you the instructions on how it's going to be, like your friends are pulling up in the background, setting up speakers and starting like a hectic rave full of girls all in the background on your driveway before your parents have even left the place. Like that's the picture here. God's talking to Moses, telling them how to live. And they're like down the bottom doing exactly what they shouldn't be doing. God has just said, I'm the one true God. Don't worship anything else but me. Don't make an image of me. And before he's even finished speaking, they're down the bottom making a golden calf. Idolatry is this gross, sickening exchange that replaces the real God with something that's just rubbish in comparison. Now, at this point, you guys are probably hearing this going, okay, golden cast, blah, blah, blah. I think I'm pretty good. I got this idolatry thing covered. I don't have any, maybe you do, I don't know, but most of you are probably going, I don't have any pieces of wood that I'm tempted to turn into a God and bow down and worship. This week's going to be pretty cruisy for me. It's going to be easy. Idolatry is really not my struggle. I've got other worries. You're probably feeling that way, but just like Israel were tempted, just like Israel worshipped other gods, we worship other gods too. We do. It just looks a bit different. Come over into the New Testament with me. And we'll start to get a picture of what our idolatry looks like. Come over to Colossians, all the way back in like the right-hand side of your Bible in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to see what idolatry looks like for us today. I should say as you're going there that idolatry where you bow down and worship any other God that's called a God, that's still idolatry today, but there's other stuff going on for us as well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. We're going to do a little bit of flicking. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. <clears throat> Put to death that... Uh, just listen if you're not there yet. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry greed which is idolatry that's kind of a weird way to talk like it's not as if anyone when it comes to greed is like oh mighty greed we love you we're going to bow down to greed that's a weird way to talk that greed this love of money and possessions and stuff like that where you're hoarding it for yourself is idolatry how is that an idol Flick over a couple pages into Philippians, a couple pages back. Come to Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. This is the same writer as Paul who wrote Colossians. And look at verse 18. 
For I've often, uh, for as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Listen to this. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. See, Paul, he's talking to some people, um, he's, he's, sorry, he's talking about some people who are not Christians. They're enemies of God, and the way he describes them is that their God is their stomach. That's their God. He literally uses the word God. Their God is their stomach. Now, he could be meaning one or two things, or maybe two things, or maybe both of these things. He could be talking about the fact that literally they're treating their bellies as their stomach, as they literally live their lives worshipping food and drink and so on for their bellies, right? It could be literally a worship of greed concerning food type thing, or the word could also be, the, the word that's translating the English here could also be talking about something just a tiny bit lower than your stomach that they're worshipping, which is they're worshipping sex, basically, right? It could be talking about that as well. Either way, what we've got here is we've got people worshipping sex or food or whatever it is, that they're, they're worshipping these things as God. And so greed, sex, food, whatever it is, we can make these things God in our lives. Israel gets a piece of wood, carves it up, they call it God and they bow down and worship it as God. We don't grab pieces of wood, but there's all sorts of other things going on in the world around us that we grab, sex, food, money, whatever it is, we grab it and and we make it our God, not by physically bowing down and worshipping it and even calling it God, but by the way we treat it. So I'll give you guys some examples of what this can look like as we treat things as God in our life. Here's some examples. God alone is meant to be worshipped. We worship and we obey sex. We really do. We obey sex instead of God. See, we make it the most important thing. Now, when I talk about sex, sorry, I'm not talking about literally just having sex, but sex and everything to do with it, sex, sexuality, that whole part of our lives, we make it so important in our lives that we we treat it as if nothing matters more than that whole thing that we call sex. We disobey God for the sake of sex. We do. Every time we choose pornography or mucking around and fooling around with some girl or some guy at some party, instead of obeying God but doing that, when we know we shouldn't, we should obey God, but instead we choose that, we're literally saying, God, you say this way but I want to do that. This, whatever it is, matters more to me than you. I know what you want but you mat- I, this matters more. So forget you, I'm going to do that. We obey sex and treat it like it's God, doing it what it says to do instead of what God says to do. And it doesn't even need to be misuse of sex. It can be right use of sex. We're going to have a whole talk on this, by the way, tomorrow, probably, right? But it can be right use of sex in that you guys are going, I'm a Christian, I want to, I want to, I'm going to wait till I get married. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be like married. And it's going to be sweet. And, you, and you're kind of holding out for this thing in your head of when you get married. And it's just going to be awesome, all that kind of stuff. But maybe for you, the prospect of right sex in the future in marriage, although you want to do this stuff right, you can make that your God. You can put it up on this huge pedestal and just be like, I just can't wait to be married and be having sex. It's going to be the best thing ever. 
and you make it your God by the importance you place on it and the way you treat it in your life. I'll give you another one. God alone is meant to be served. God alone is meant to be trusted as our God. We serve and we trust money and things and possessions. We really do. We make decisions, maybe not heaps yet, but more and more you guys will find you're working jobs and and you'll find that you'll start to do almost anything for the sake of money. Not because we like love little pieces of paper and we're like, I love money, like Scrooge McDuck swimming around in money. Money's actually pretty gross. Lots of people in touch and it don't kiss money. It's yuck, right? But we love what money can buy us. And so we become greedy and we want more and we want more and we want more. And we'll do almost anything to get more money. And so we'll serve it. And not only that, we'll actually put our trust in money hoping that money, if we have enough of it and can buy the right things, it will make us happy. And so we trust it as the thing to kind of shape our whole lives. And so instead of trusting and serving God, we trust and we serve money. There's just two examples. Now those things aren't God. No one like prints little pieces of paper with like $5 written on it and then like instead of a picture of the queen, it's just labeled God. Like that's not, no one's... calling these things God but the way we relate to them shows that we really do treat it as that. I'll give you an illustration to hopefully drive this home to kind of show the difference between literally worshipping something that's called a God and worshipping something as God even though it isn't. All right, see, I love my wife, right? I love my wife and I'm married to her and at my wedding I made promises that she's the only person I would treat as my wife. She's my wife and that's it. She's the only one. Now, I could literally treat, um, cheat on her, right, by literally going and sleeping with another woman. I could do that. So I could go, you're my wife, but I'm going to cheat on you in the traditional sense with what we call a woman, right? I could do that and that would be pretty obvious and blatantly cheating. But I could kind of cheat on her with something that looks nothing like a don't take this weirdly, but I could cheat on her with something that looks nothing like a woman just by the way I treat something else in a ridiculous way. So imagine I really like Xbox, right? I just love Xbox. And so instead of spending my time with my wife, I start to spend my time with my Xbox. And to the point that I literally ignore my wife and I'm just playing Xbox, just loving it and going for it. And then things start to get worse because I'm so in love with my Xbox instead of my wife that I kind of have these little quiet conversations with my wife where I go, baby... I'm thinking of taking a holiday with the Xbox, just me and, me and it, just somewhere up north, somewhere where it's quiet, where we can spend a bit of time alone, really get some hours done, I've got to like, go elite or whatever it's called on Call of Duty, I've got to, I've got to prestige, you know, I've, got to do, I've just got to spend some time with the Xbox, me and it, we're going to go up north. And in fact, we had a pretty, me and my Xbox, we had a pretty good run tonight online, I got, I got a lot of kills, it was pretty good. Nothing personal, but do you mind if me and the Xbox kind of, we'll just sleep in the spare bed tonight and snuggle, just me and the Xbox. We had such a good run. I just, it's feeling vulnerable, you know. Like, and so I start to treat something that's ridiculous to treat as a, as a wife. It's not a wife, but if I treat it like a wife, and I genuinely aren't just being an idiot, but I'm like, literally, this is who I am, man, that's just as much cheating on my wife as cheating with a woman is, in a sense that I'm treating this thing like it's my wife. 
That's what we do with these things that we make into gods in our lives. And they're nothing like a God in any sense. It doesn't look like a God in any way, but we treat it as God. So just like Israel worshipped other gods, we worship other gods in our lives as well. We're on the home streak here. What's the big problem with these idols? We've just kind of got ahead around this idea of what they are, but what is the big problem with counterfeit gods? Well, the first problem is a smaller problem, but the first problem is that they're not gods and they do a terrible job at being our gods. Just like an Xbox makes a pretty bad wife, these fake gods make terrible gods because they don't serve us, we just... They don't help us in any way. They're just these things that we've created and now we serve. They're our creations instead of the creator who made us. And so they're terrible at being our gods. They'll always disappoint us, like a dodgy pair of sunglasses from Bali. They're never, ever going to do a good job of being your God. They're going to disappoint you at every turn. But there's a heaps bigger problem with these counterfeit gods. Heaps bigger problem. And here it is. God hates idols because he's a jealous God. God is furious that we would treat anything other than him as God. Check out verses 5 and 6 back in Exodus 20. Come back to Exodus 20. Exodus 20 verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, those other gods. For I, the Lord... Your God am a jealous God, punishing the children of, for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is a jealous God. Now, jealousy is a word that's kind of got a bad name lately, but jealousy is not always wrong when it's jealousy about the right thing, Okay? So if my wife is not jealous when I start snuggling up to the Xbox in bed, that's a problem. She should be jealous about that. And God should be jealous when we cheat on him and treat something else as God. And so notice in verse 6 that God is still a gracious God, gracious to thousands of generations. But he punishes disobedience in verse 5. He hates idols now ultimately in the new testament as you head into the where we were in colossians and philippians and so on what you'll see is that the punishment for idolatry because god hates it is actually it's hell every idolater genuinely deserves for the god who we've forsaken and turned our back on we deserve to have that god turn his back on us we deserve hell That's pretty serious if you think about that for a second. It's serious because I want to put it to you guys that we're all idolaters on one level or another, every single one of us. Even if you just take those three things I talked about, food, sex and money, they came up before, right? If you just take those three things alone and ask yourself these questions, is there anything that you love more than God in those things? Is there anything that you 
worship instead of God? Is there anything that you serve and obey like it's God? Even if it's in just those categories, but you can go wherever you want in your life. If you find that the answer is, yeah, it's this thing or it's that thing instead of God, (laughs) that's an idol. (laughs) And this week you're going to see more and more clearly that there's idols in your lives. I have idols, you guys have idols. It's so obvious when you think about it for just one second. If that's the case, the Bible also says that God is jealous for you and that He's furious that we constantly try to replace Him with fake gods. Big deal, big problem. So the question is then, how do we we solve this problem of idolatry? What can we do about it? See, should we just kind of focus real hard and be like, okay, I hate my idol so much, whatever it is, you, you work it out and you're just like, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, and sit in your room like a guy who's in love with some girl, just going, I hate her, I hate her, I hate her, I hate her, to try and get it out of your head. What do you do when you want to get rid of an idol in your life? How do you do that? What's the answer? Here it is. We're going to go to Thessalonians, but the answer is this. We need to be rescued from them. We need to be rescued from them, and we need to replace them rescue and replace come over to 1 Thessalonians back in the New Testament again in the thin end of your Bible over here 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this is our last flick for the night 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 Jordan read it out earlier now as we look at these verses again as you go on there the context is that this same guy again Paul who's written all these letters that we keep on reading Paul is talking to some Christians And he's talking about how everyone is talking about you guys. He's going, everyone's talking about you because of the huge change that's happened in your life. And check out what he says people are saying about these Thessalonians. Chapter 8, verse... uh, Chapter (laughs) 1. There's no chapter 8. Trick you all. Chapter chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So everyone's talking... Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of a reception you gave us. And they're saying, they tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And so there's two things I want you to notice. First of all, notice that we, in verse 9, just like the Thessalonians did, we do need to replace our idols with God. They turned away from their idols towards God to serve the true and living God. So we need to turn away from them. We need to pull them up out of our lives, rip them out of there, uproot them and replace it with God. You've got to fill that space. See, that could mean, as we, as we pull them up, it could mean changing the way you relate to this thing. So, I don't know, if your family's your idol, you're never going to get rid of your family, short of killing them, but that's not the answer, right? And so, instead you need to change the way you relate to that thing. Or it could be with your idol that you need to get rid of it out of your life altogether, depending on what it is. But you can't just get rid of it and do nothing then and stop. You need to get rid of it and replace it by serving the true and living God instead. It's a little bit like in like crazy countries like the Middle East and places like that. You hear about these wars going on, right, where you've got some crazy guy in power, like in Libya, you've got Gaddafi, or you've got 
dude, what's the guy from Iraq? From, what's the guy from Iraq? Saddam Hussein. You've got Saddam Hussein in Iraq. You've got these guys in control of these countries, right? And what happens is we, we get rid of them, we take them out, we overthrow the dictatorship. Well, America does, we don't. But they, they get rid of them. But if they were to just take out this bad leader and go, sweet, he's gone, everybody, go home and we'll be sweet, what would happen? <laughs> Pretty quickly, another bad leader is just going to come up in that place, take over, and he's going to be another crazy bad dictator. And so when you do that, they don't just get rid of them and go, sweet, you're free, go rule yourself. You've got to replace the guy you got rid of with a new leader, a good one. And so when we uproot idols in our lives, we can't just go, sweet, got it covered, because we want to worship something. And so we'll continue to seek after things to worship and treat, of, treat as God until we start treating the true and living God as God that hole's going to keep on getting filled by another thing, like those whack-a-moles, you know, like the circus or whatever, where you're like, oh, and, if you, if you, and then if you're not careful, another one's like, Wah! and you, and you're trying to hit the whack It's like that with idols in our lives, unless you plug that hole with the true and living God. So we need to replace our idols with the real God, turn from the idol to the true and living God. But as I said earlier, as the Bible said earlier, there's a bigger problem with our idols than just needing to find the right thing to worship from now on and kind of fix up our lives. So remember, in Exodus, God is furious. He's angry already at the things we've already done in the past. And so just attempting to fix up our actions in the future won't solve it because he's already angry and we're actually going to make mistakes and worship other gods in the future as we continue to sin. And so here's the second thing that we must do, or that really must be done for us. We need to be rescued from God's anger at our idols. And it's right there in verse 10. They replace the idol, but look at what happens first in verse 10. The idol's replaced and they turn to wait for Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Wait for Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus dies on the cross to save us because God is angry at us and so he dies on the, on the cross in our place taking God's anger that we deserve. A few years ago, uh, there were, quite a while ago now, there was a couple who were on their honeymoon in Byron Bay. Uh, they're on their honeymoon and they're, they're scuba diving out in the bay and it's like sweet times. It's, I don't know what was going on. I imagine that there's turtles and stuff and they're just having this good time. Could be the worst day ever, I don't know. But anyway, they're scuba diving out in the bay on their honeymoon. All's going well, but then everything suddenly changes because the husband sees a great white shark coming at them through the water and pretty quickly he, he manages to get himself between his wife and this shark. And what ends up happening is this guy died, he gets killed by the shark, and his wife survived. She was, she was fine. She managed to escape the shark because her husband put himself between her and the shark. So that's a little picture of what Jesus has done for us if you're a Christian. God's anger is literally bearing down on us because deservingly, it's not like we're some innocent shark attack victim, no, no, we deserve to have God's anger bearing down on us and Jesus literally steps in front of that and takes it for us. He sacrifices himself 
The only difference is we're not some lovely new wife on the honeymoon who, who is loved by their husband. Well, we're loved, but we're not lovely. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, while we were the bad guys, Jesus died to save us, even though we fully deserve God's judgment. That is huge news for us idolaters. That is the most important thing you're going to hear this week. And it's so important, guys, that I'm going to say it three more times. Not right now, but you're going to hear it again and again. That's what we must do with our idolatry. We need to be rescued from it. We can't rescue ourselves from idols. We need Jesus to do that. We can't rescue ourselves from God's anger at our idols. We need Jesus to do that. If you want to write anything in that box at the top of your page in your books, feel free to write that in there because that matters more than anything else. We can't rescue ourselves from God's anger. We need Jesus to do that. And so as we spend this week talking about idolatry and going through how we really do need to uproot these and replace it with God in our lives, remember why we're doing it. We're not talking about this stuff because you guys need to do a good enough job of fighting off the idols in your life so that you can earn your way to heaven. No, no. You must be rescued by Jesus, who saves us from God's anger at our idols. But secondly, though, here's the thing I want to finish on tonight. Um, I want to to ask you guys this question. Will you commit to uprooting and replace... If you're a Christian, will you commit to uprooting, pulling them out, and replacing the idols in your life with God this week? So idols that we kind of... have sneaking around in our hearts, they're a little less obvious than a big wooden statue that we literally call out God. Sometimes the idols in our lives are pretty slippery and you won't even know they're there. But will you let God dig around in your life this week and show you what's going on? See, with our idols, here's what I reckon we tend to do. Sorry, it's not just our idols. With our lives, here's what we do, right? I, I just had so many things. It's not like food's my thing, right? But yeah, we, we, have like, we have food and we have Xbox games and we have, I don't know, we've got, like, this represents music. Okay, all right. And so we've got all these things in our lives that are a part of who we are, right? And so there's, I could, there's more important things, but they're hard to stick to my body. All right, but we've got our lives, right? And there's all these things that are important to us that could be idols, they may not be, but it's our lives and it's the things that we love and we cherish. And so we have these things and we tend to walk around in life like this, just going, don't let anyone near this stuff. Like I'll share with my friends, but I'm not going to let anyone take this away. Don't, don't take my chocolate. No, nah, don't take my Xbox game. Don't take my phone. And, and, and this is what we do with our lives, even when it comes to God himself. We don't want to let God in and we don't want to let him poke around and show us where our idols are. And I guess, I feel ridiculous right now, but I guess what I want to encourage us all to do this week is to get to the point where we can kind of just go to God, look, here's my life, this is me, this is all of it, I'm sure there's more to you than this, right? But this is my life, God, whatever it is, however much I love it, however valuable it is to me, it's not you, it's not God, and so wherever my idols are, God, give me the courage to to pull them out and replace them with you. That's what I want us to be praying for this week. God, I want you, not my idols. And so whatever it is you show me this week, 
no matter how hard, no matter how much I love it, will you act on your idols this week? That's the point we need to be at tonight as we dive into the next three topics and really let the Word of God kind of dig around in our lives. That's what I want us to be praying for this week. And so, if you're a Christian, let's pray that prayer together. Let's pray now. Now, Father God, you are awesome. You are better than any other thing in the world. Our Lord, you stand far above everything else as the creator of all things rather than a creation. And Father, we want to confess, Lord, that we really do fill our lives with so many things that are not you, that are not God, and yet we treat them as God. Lord, we want to confess that we've been praising and worshipping counterfeit gods in our lives. Lord, this week, I pray that you would please dig around in our lives, expose any idols that are there, whether they're obvious or whether they're kind of hidden away, make it obvious to us by the end of the week where the idols in our lives are. And I pray that, Lord, once we see that clearly, we wouldn't just hear your word and then walk away unchanged, but we would obey, we'd repent of our idolatry and we'd turn to worship you as God instead. And Father, thank you so much for Jesus who's already died so that your anger at our idolatry is dealt with. Thank you for Jesus who saves us from the coming wrath. Amen.